I would like to invite you on a voyage, a crusade, or a quest, whatever you'd like to call it. But a journey nonetheless that began for me many years ago when I hit my own personal metaphorical iceberg. As we all navigate through these uncharted, turbulent waters, this perfect storm entrenched in such polarized shards of dark and light, I hope to use this vessel to unearth and share a few of the beings from around the globe that can hopefully offer some respite during this ambiguous time. I call these individuals the torchbearers, the stewards, or the bridge builders. And in this era of false heroism, dare I even call them the true influencers. We ask the question, who do we recruit aboard this proverbial ark? The ship that will be navigating perilously through this new and unfamiliar territory with a view to reshape and regenerate our relationship with the animal kingdom, one another, and the planet Earth. The only home we know. These are the stewards, the thinkers, and the doers. Accompany me, Rona Mitra, as we voyage onward toward the shores of our undeciphered future. On the Last Ark. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Last Ark with me, Rona Mitra. Thank you very much for joining me again. And I uh, would like to say that, yes, I am aware that there has been somewhat of a hiatus between the last episode and this one. And there has been good reason for that, I believe. And um, although I was not looking to necessarily churn out an episode a week or have any level of consistency. These episodes and these podcasts very much are driven by connections that I have with people in my life and they are being aired in alignment with events as they are taking place, I suppose, is one way to put it without sounding too ethereal or ad hoc. But this next episode in particular has been one that I have just had to take pause on, the theme being narcissistic personality disorder. And the reason being is that as we're all watching the world and its events unfold and everything that's taking place, we're all from our different places and our different corners responding, um, depending on what's coming up for us. But we obviously, there's nowhere to hide from it. There's nowhere to run from it. And it's not going anywhere. And so I don't know about anyone else out there. But for me, the um, the most important thing to do when confronted by situations that present, you know, pain, discomfort, um, or um, suffering, is to really look at the root cause and then to look at my part in that. And, you know, to, it's very important for me anyway to to not point fingers and, and blame, but to really understand how we got here. And so it seems very prevalent to, to me and to many others that um, I have the opportunity to speak to that this this real malaise, this real virus is is really coming from us. It's the human condition and the root cause of of this uh, this virus in the human condition really is narcissism. It's um, it's narcissistic abuse and it's it's been running amok. It's been running rife and it's really really showing its ugly head these days. But it's it's not just on a political level. Um, this is in this is in families. It's in relationships. It's in the workplace. 
Um, you know, we, we are raised by narcissists, some of us. Uh, we have family members who are narcissists. We all have a little bit of narcissism in us and we actually need it to survive. But there's a point where narcissistic personality disorder, which is a disorder which exists on a spectrum where there's pathological, sociopathic narcissism, but it's incredibly dangerous and it's incredibly toxic. And it's actually quite covert and silent. And so um, I've had the good fortune, but unfortunately through my own journey through it, uh, but you know, everything is thrown to you as uh, as an opportunity to grow, right? So um, through my journey with dealing with um, narcissistic abuse, I managed to come across some wonderful people. And one of these wonderful people is a lady who goes by the name of the Little Shaman, otherwise known as Sister Sin. And she's a spiritual coach and narcissism speci- specialist. She's got a very popular YouTube show um, where she shares an incredible wealth of information. I highly recommend it if you have experienced any level of narcissistic abuse, which you have, because we are governed by narcissists. But on a more personal, deep level, she's an incredible aid. And um, she offers an extraordinary service. She has workshops. And if you check on her website, which I'll be sharing with you at at the end of the episode, you can um, you can join in and uh, subscribe and she can help you hopefully on your road to healing. And, um, you know, I'm talking about sort of trauma bonding and, you know, the gaslighting and blame shifting and scapegoating and neglect and betrayal and, you know, all of those words that might be familiar to some people but not to others. But this show is very much centered around helping people heal um i think that i think that maybe we recognize that and the little shaman she provides i'm just going to read off her bio an education and support for those dealing with abusive situations either current or past virtually all abuse is narcissistic in nature with this understanding you can learn how to move on and heal from abusive situations how to break trauma bonds why these situations are occurring in your life protect yourself from future abuse and much more so there we have it um it's a pretty long episode. It's packed full of information. It's sent with so much love. And I really look forward to hearing um, your thoughts on the other side. Enjoy. I'm here with uh, Sister Sin. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, this is an incredibly important area that um, <clears throat> I'm so grateful to be able to discuss this, with, especially with you, because um, on a personal level, you're your journey and your work has impacted me um, really greatly. And um, throughout this journey on this podcast, what has become really prevalent, um, whether it's talking about our relationship with the animal kingdom, the planet, each other, the common denominator, the fulcrum, the actual core uh, of all of this, um, this, uh, this disruption that we are now kind of confronted by at this in this cul-de-sac in time, it seems to me that the absolute core of this really is this this conversation of trauma and um, the symptoms of trauma, which I think have been really skewed and misrepresented and um, misunderstood. And I think that the work that you do and also the, the way that you uh, discuss things are so clear and so black and white and cohesive that I wanted to give everybody the opportunity to understand 
uh, trauma and um, and its and its and its symptoms and how it represents itself itself on the big scale and on the the smaller scale. So where we're at politically and where we're at um, in individually. So what is what is what does trauma actually mean to you? What is trauma? The, you know, there's a big misunderstanding about trauma. And thank you very much, Rona, for having me on the show. <clears throat> I really appreciate it. Um, I think that the easiest definition we could give of trauma is that trauma is anything that happens that you, your brain cannot process. It's anything that happens that overwhelms your ability to cope. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about that because people think, you know, trauma has to be something that's a big deal or something, you know, this is not bad enough, bad enough to qualify as trauma. This is not the case. And why, why is it that you feel that even the word trauma is something that, that there's, there's, there's actually shame around it. That mm -hmm. there's, um, whether it's really, I suppose there are very blatant examples with PTSD and trauma for people who've actually been to war in order to qualify you almost have to have been to war and seen heads blown off. And even then, the way that we deal with trauma is throw pills at it, right? So we have an, yeah. the way I like to use, the, the analogy that I use is that we're in an orphanage of misfits who have been kind of fostered into this, I suppose this sort of, this infrastructure that's been created around an illusion where we're all on this salt lick we bought the kind of ticket and we're on this ride believing that we're all supposed to be living this hologram life existence, which is completely disconnected from our sole purpose and from the wholeness and the oneness of the planet and the universe and, and everything that actually is life. And as we're waking up through that and waking up from that, that in of itself is traumatic. And so, why this time is so important, Sin, is that I think that we have been given this precious opportunity to stop and actually recognize that by the very events that have been taking place on a political level, on a environmental level, created by us through abuse, through our own abuse, um, yeah. how we are coming, we're, we're in this state of trauma right now. And the after effects of this, like a, like a earthquake, the tremors and the shocks are going to be felt on and on and on. And so why it's so important to, to have these chats with you and expose this, pull it apart, look at it and understand it is to understand where the healing can come in and how we can navigate through this. So we got adopted into this orphanage, the foster parents or whatever you want to call them, people running the show, checked out, locked the door, threw in some Doritos and some bullets and said, have at it. I don't know what, what it is, but there's an abandonment that's gone on and a neglect. And as a yes. result, because we realize that nobody's, nobody's here taking care of this right now, it's up to us. It's up to the kids. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I think that one of the biggest parts of the trauma is for people to realize I, I, it really is on me. There's no, but that's, that's one of the bigger skills that we can learn is about personal agency. What am I in control of? What am I responsible for? We, I have agency upon the world.
And that is where empowerment comes from. And, but it's like you're saying, you have to go through that trauma in order to know that. And that's very difficult for people. But don't you think that people have, don't even recognize they're in tra trauma because trauma is such a familiar state to be in? Yes. That we don't yes. even know the difference between love and trauma. We actually relate our lives in relation to everything as being traumatic. We live in survival as a result yep. of the fact that the world that we've born into, been born into, not just on a bigger level, but also in our homes, we're living mm -hmm. in survival, fight or flight. So in fact, any kind of level of harmony or connection to anything that even resembles, doesn't, peace. It, doesn't it peace? <laughs> then without yeah. that, there's no way that we can progress because we're perpetuating a cycle based on an illusion that living, I guess what the term is, is used is, is I mean, trauma bonding is one thing, I suppose, but that's... It's yeah. like we're trauma bonded to life almost, right? I feel as a species, and I want to ask you this, are we manufacturing beings that in fact are agents of abuse and trauma in, in a cycle where this is what we've conditioned ourselves to believe is... Um, our yes. Yes. And, you know, the, people say that because they'll say, well, is it the case that um, we're just noticing it more and things like that? And that is part of it. But it's also, you know, studies have shown, for example, people are more narcissistic than they were in the 70s or in the 80s. Like studies have shown that they are. And, you know, there's a lot of things we can look at for that. There's, um, you know, the uh, destruction, I guess you could say, of the of the family unit. And people have turned against each other. There's no community. There's no neighbors. There's no, you know, all these things. Someone asked me one time if I think that, um, you know, music and movies and these things, do they, that we have in society, do they create narcissism? Or the, and I, you know, I think it's a self-perpetuating cycle because I think that they're reflecting what's already there. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think it's as a, as a result of the fact that there's a complete disconnect. Like you said, we don't, mm -hmm. we don't live in tribes. We don't live in connection to our mother. We don't live in connection to our food sources. We don't live yep. in connection to the animal kingdom. So therefore, we have no empathy for that. We have no connection to it. So we only have what's been put in front of us. So we have TV screens. We have the internet. We have politicians. We have bad leaders who are narcissistic. We have parents who are narcissistic and we have uh, all systems are based and, 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 and built on manipulation and the belief that we should be living in comparison and that you're not good enough and that yeah. this is how you're going to be good enough, but you have to stay on this path on this salt lick in order to get there. And yep. it's like this serpent eating its tail, it's never gonna happen. And yep. so by not being able to break away from that, you're constantly a lap dog waiting for the next cookie to be dropped into your mouth and not realizing mm -hmm. that in fact it's laced with poison. So who's so who's taking who's taking who's taking care of this? Who are we looking to? And right exactly. now and that's part of it. I want to validate that for you because I totally agree there is no escape 
And that's one of the defining characteristics of, for example, a trauma bond. The person must believe that there is no escape from the situation. And everywhere we look, it's the same thing. Can we, can, can we just get into the nuts and bolts of some, some of the categories so we can break this apart a little bit? Because it does seem that what is also the, at the crux of um, this trauma is narcissistic abuse. Mm. Define for me, if you can, in broad terms, what you consider to be narcissistic abuse. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Basically, narcissism is the over, how do I want to look at it? The over focus um, on the ego, not ego as in arrogance, ego as in I. Who am I? My, me, myself. So narcissism is, was considered and probably still is a stage of development that, you know, like Freud stages of development or whatever that what you know, the whole thing of that, like it's considered that. So we could say people who are narcissists are stuck there. And it's the complete focus on the self. Now, a lot of people, in a way that has been misconstrued into um, self-love. And so narcissism is, exists on a spectrum because there's healthy narcissism and then there's pathological narcissism where the entirety of the focus is on the self. So narcissistic personality disorder is one of four cluster B personality disorders there. In cluster B, there is histrionic borderline, narcissistic, and antisocial. People with antisocial personality disorder are what we usually call psychopaths or sociopaths. And so it exists on a spectrum. And people who are diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder are so narcissistic that it, it's a pathology. And that is usually diagnosed based on the rigidity and or the inflexibility, however you want to say it, on their narcissistic traits, such as the self is the only source of truth. That's why we say they believe feelings are facts, because for them, my feeling is my fact. It's like a child. And so if they feel something is true, then if someone is extremely narcissistic, then you can show them proof of that. You can. It doesn't matter because they they cannot change their um, beliefs or their behaviors or however you want to say it based on this new information. It cannot be integrated. And they have a lot of, you know, it's not just a behavioral problem. It's not just an emotional problem. It's not just um, a cognition or a, or a processing problem. It's all of these things together. So that's why I tried to, you know, because people, I, I like to compare it to, um, you know, auto recalls. When you, they say, well, this car is being recalled because the air conditioning uh, system doesn't work or the, um, the airbag system, something's wrong with it. This, is, this would be if the entire metal that the car has been cast from is corrupted, something's wrong with it because the entire personality has been affected. So I'm sorry, did that answer your question or was, am, I, <laughs> am I missing no, no, something? No, 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 yeah, in many different ways. But what, 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 what creates a narcissist? What, what creates a pathological narcissist? What we usually find is trauma. That's what we usually find. I mean, when you go back in the history of the person, you usually find some type of trauma, whether it's physical abuse, whether it's um, sexual abuse, whether it's 
for example, there is a lot of emotional neglect and abandonment in these people's histories generally. And also we will find um, indulgence and spoiling. And a lot of people, you know, that's one of the, it, it's, it's again back with the misunderstanding of trauma because it's like people don't understand that that is trauma. If, if, when a child is indulged, when they're neglected, when, when um, they're not called upon to do things for themselves and things like that, it has the same effect on them as neglect because they're not being taught how to do things themselves. They're not being taught how to cope with things themselves. So trauma is usually what we find at the crux of pathological narcissism. You're talking about, you're talking about trauma in childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that, that sweet spot window that really kind of like encapsulates and creates the blueprint um, between specifically even what's happening in utero to age seven. I don't know if yeah. you ever read any of Bruce Lipton's work. Um, he wrote a brilliant book called The Biology of Belief. And that is science, that that blueprint, yes. those imprints. And it's, it's even what's happening between the mother and father. Um, they, they think that they're even being able to hide or conceal from the child that can be abuse that the child sees between the mother and father, the way the father treats the mother or the way the mother treats the father. It can be alcoholism. It can be addiction. It can be... All, it, it can be all of that. It, it, it's, it's, it's many, there are many colors of it. And I think that people yep. get, have got caught up in, and this is almost Victorian, that abuse really has to, it, it really only matters and qualifies if there's bruises or physical assault involved. And, That's right. Um, and not only that, and I want to validate that for you too, because I see it all the time and I hear it all the time. Another thing people don't realize is, for example, they will say, and you probably have heard this too, because the thing just about everybody has, if the child doesn't remember it, it's like it didn't happen. That is not true. Trauma affects the brain, the body, everything in real time. And one of the examples I give people is I say, okay, if you had a car accident and you received a concussion, but you don't remember it, you don't remember the accident, do you still have a concussion? And the answer is yes, you do. But it's been buried away. And people don't well, realize right. they're carrying. They're, people don't realize they're carrying that emotional scar tissue, but it comes yep. up all throughout their life. So one one thing that if that is 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 opaque to me is that if if say if two children could grow up in an equally abusive household, um, with similar kinds of trauma, similar kinds of abuse, mm -hmm. how how is it that maybe one child will be broken and fractured in one way, but still maintain empathy and more likely actually become the person who will trauma bond. And then how is it that some people could become the, the abuser? Right. I think a lot of it has to do with someone's basic personality. Um, because as you know, it isn't really, and this is the same with all people, it's not a recipe where, um, you know, like when you make a cake and you put in, uh, two cups of this and a teaspoon of this and a, and a thing of this and you always get the same thing. And so I think a lot of it has to do with somebody's individual personality. There's a big argument um, in this kind of thing where we, you know, is it nature or is it nurture? And I think as with most things, it's probably a little bit of both because, for example, someone might have a predisposition to be a certain way 
and you know someone else may not it's kind of like if you have a german shepherd and a labrador and they have babies some of them will look like mom some of them will look like dad some of them will look like both and then sometimes you get that one that doesn't look like anybody i mean we just don't know how these things are going to be expressed one of them might look just like mom but have a personality you know you might have a labrador looking dog with a german shepherd personality so we really don't know how uh genes and, and different things are expressed and to what you were saying, for example, in utero, um, there could have been a different situation when one child was conceived or when they were, you know, um, during the gestation period, like we, it, it's a lot of different things. You know, we touched on this in another conversation, you and I, about addiction, about growing up in a family with an alcoholic and then healing from that and understanding whether or not you have the disease. It's the same with narcissism and alcoholism is even a byproduct or even a form of narcissism. I, that yeah. also gets a little bit confusing because ultimately what it comes down to is accountability is when you, when we reach those junctures of clarity in our life, which I think we all, unless we're blind, drunk on ego or drunk on the, the drug, the other drug and ego is a drug. And then there's drug drugs, but I, they all come yeah. under the same umbrella of addiction. And so I think what separates an, an, a pathological narcissist and maybe another form of, addict who's on a spectrum with narcissism which i think we can all put our hands in the air and say yeah we have pepperings of narcissism yeah we mm -hmm. it's okay to own that it's actually healthy it's it's part of the fuel source it's part of the cocktail that we actually need to survive too but when it's pathological right. and it's the overriding fuel in that's running through all the the cylinders um accountability and uh, awareness of the fact that nobody else exists and nothing else matters other than my survival because yep. I was not given that as a child. So I have to take care of myself at all costs becomes yep. so pervasive that the level of destruction that gets done to other people individually and en masse, depending the position of power that person yep. has is really dangerous. You're seeing a lot of this now, aren't you? Yes. More than yes. ever? I, it's more than I ever remember seeing. And like I said, um, some people attribute that to perhaps um, well, we notice it more now. And it's kind of like people say about autism. We didn't know to diagnose it before. It's maybe is, maybe isn't more prevalent, but it's hard to say because of that. But narcissism was known about, you know, and so excuse me, what they are noticing is that, like I said, it, it is more prevalent. There is more of a problem with it. People are more narcissistic. They really are. Why is and it so, not, yes, we are seeing more of it. Why is it not recognized? Why do therapists not understand the nuances? How, why is it so co covert and how does it go unseen and undiagnosed? What are the defining characteristics of narcissistic pathological narcissistic personality disorder well there are nine of them and you have to qualify for five in order to get the diagnosis grandiosity uh, interpersonal exploitation uh lack of empathy you know the, the basic ones that we always think about that in there in my opinion therein lies the problem with diagnoses is because 
for example, if, if somebody has four of these characteristics, they will not receive a diagnosis, even though, you know, these are probably causing huge problems in their lives and huge problems in their relationships. And they are to even just have one of the criteria is a huge, big deal for somebody's life and for the way that they interact with other people. So that's part of the problem um, with diagnosis. Another part of the problem is that, for example, people who, because it's a big myth that narcissistic people never go to a therapist, they never reach out for help. That is not true. It's not extremely common, but it's not as uncommon as people think it is. The thing is that most of the time they do not go to the therapist for their narcissistic problems. Like they'll go because they are for anxiety or for depression. You know, the reasons that other people go, they might actually believe they are the victim of abuse in their relationship. And so the therapist is tasked with understanding what the client is telling them and helping them to deal with it. It isn't their job to look at this person and say, okay, I think you're lying or like, you know what I mean? And not only that, but, and this is really important, a person who has gone to therapy, let's say that there's a narcissist who's been going to therapy once a week for six months. The therapist has known them for a total of 24 hours. That is not very long. And it's in a situation where it's very controlled. It's extremely um, narrow, you know, they, because there are really strong boundaries and the narcissist is able to the only information that's known is what they have presented, either because that's what they really believe or because this is all they want the person to know. So a lot of times what we see is narcissism is not suspected until there's family therapy or there's group counseling uh, with, you know, um, it's a couples counseling, marriage counseling, something like that. Or it will be a situation where uh, somebody's in jail and they're, prior bad acts are already known. So they, they can't be lied about. They can't, you know, it can't be glossed over. The therapist already has information. So that is when we see those, um, the diagnoses come up. Or um, if someone is extremely, extremely low functioning, but most of the time, if you can hold the job, if you take a shower, if you eat like you're supposed to, if you're not suicidal, you're not trying to kill anybody, you know, you're considered that you're functioning all right. And so that is a big part of why diagnoses does not occur more often, all of those things. And because there's just a big, a lot of people don't recognize it even when they're looking at it. You know, it's like we were saying earlier, um, what you can learn academically about Pathological narcissism is very important, but a lot of times it does not prepare people for seeing it in the real world. Like it just doesn't. Well, a high functioning narcissist does such an incredible job, almost Oscar worthy because they've yep. had to convince themselves and protect themselves from the real truth that at all costs, no matter what it takes. And this is where pathological lying comes in. They yep. have to defend and protect with moats and dragons and any tools that they can implement to make sure that nobody gets to the inner sanctum. And what is in right. the inner sanctum, as I've, I've, I've learned from your teachings and from your work, is that it's the core of it is shame and blame and a deep sense of actual self-loathing and lack of self-worth. 
and God yes. forbid that anyone should touch or go anywhere near that. And so what you see, and I think from what I've understood, there's a common denominator with the characteristics. And, and this is what ends up being really, really dangerous for anybody who's in a relationship with a narcissist is that the external shows, the, the facade shows incredible charm, there's usually a cover story, but because everybody sees this facade, they could never believe that anything that you might tell them could actually be to, to could, could actually be valid. And so, right. if you're in a relationship, there's this. What I'm trying to get to is the the motivation of a narcissist, because I almost see them now as being other creatures. If 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 you don't have empathy and your whole goal in life is actually to use people and to suck them dry of their essence in order to survive. So I know this sounds really extreme, but in fact, it's not really far off the mark because no. a narcissist has a very specific kind of supply system that it needs to live off. Um, yep. And so tell me about the target. Tell me about a narcissist's target. What are they going for? Usually, they it's almost like a trophy thing. And they're looking a lot of times for a caregiver, but also someone who has things that they don't have, cannot get, can't manufacture, you know, whatever that might be. It could be talent. It could be um, a support system. It could be big extended family. You know, it, it depends on whatever it is that they that has become important to them. That rec uh, excuse me represents power to the narcissist. And what happens is, um, in a way, they kind of try their stuff on everybody. You know what I mean? But for the people who are super empathic, for the people who are uh, perhaps have this blueprint of parents that maybe were narcissistic or maybe they just didn't get enough validation, maybe they didn't get emotional connection, you know, on and on and on. Then with those people, they will recognize consciously or unconsciously the difficulty that the narcissist is having. The fact that this person, something's off, you know, you can see that, that younger child in there or, or you can see that there's really a good person in there trying to get out and stuff like that. So this is very powerful to this kind of person. So those are the people that the narcissistic person really can glom onto because they're very understanding. They're very accepting. There, there is a lot of um, compassion and right. that's, that's what they want. Right. You know, they also, want a caregiver. They can see you. There's a relatability because actually the mm -hmm. common, the common grounding from what I'm hearing you say is that both individuals experience some kind of trauma. So what Usually. you're seeing is the arrested development of a narcissist around whatever it is. I, it's, it's, I, I think it's generally between sort of like three and five or whatever, where there's that switch that takes place. And then the, the maturation, the emotional maturation becomes petrified. And yeah. that's for some, it becomes petrified, but um, what can happen is there's a recognition between the two souls, which say, I remember you at that age. I see your soul at that age. And an empath or an empathetic person will actually focus on that petrified little child and say, but I keep on seeing and feeling that, not knowing that actually the kind of, it's the, it's the dragon that's running the house now. And that little, that little light being, that tiny little firefly is very hot, it's very bit, it's very hidden, but every once in a while, the narcissist will 
throw out a speckle of it to say, oh yeah, I, I know that that's the stuff that you feed off. And mm. so I'm going to show you a bit of it because I know that's how I keep you here. Um, yeah, and I think that they are, in a lot of ways, I think it's genuine because underneath of everything, that's, that's where they're at. Like that is really who and what they are. The problem is the majority of the time, unless they really go through a big, um, like a decompensation, that little part of them is, is not accessible, even to them. Like it's, you know, it's, it's almost like um, a fossil. Does that, does that make sense? Of course, yeah. And you can display the fossil and you can show it to people, but it isn't, it's not uh, alive. You know what I mean? No, they send out a placebo fossil. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 the, 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 and this thing, this journey, which, which is a data mining, data mining process. And where, where I, where, where I kind of get really mind blown about this is like, wow, did they get a manual? <laughs> you know? Yeah. With yeah. this. You know, How can they all be the same? Yes. Can we go through a little bit of this, this, this cycle, if you like? And I know that there's, there's spokes off this and spokes and spokes mm -hmm. off this, but at the core, there's a sort yep. of, and, and you're going to, you're going to correct me on this, but there's the sort of love bombing and there's the grooming. And then there's this kind of this tension that they deliberately create by doing something. Yep. So, so there's a irritability and frustration and resentment and avoidance and so you don't even yep. know what it is you've done it could be that you left the cap off the toothpaste i mean you literally don't even know it can just be but it's crazy right. so you start scrambling for things so you come become unhinged right yep and yes is, is that right am i kind of <laughs> you're no you got it because that's the love bombing is the grooming where you're it's it's you know fast jump quick in a hurry grab a hold of you you know and then it starts to be kind of, mm, you're not as perfect as I thought you were. And these are miserable, unhappy people anyway. So they start, just all the little cracks start to show through. And the person is like, wait a minute, why is this becoming a bad? Like, what happened? And so they keep trying to get back and get back and get back to the, you know, in, in heroin addiction and in opiate addiction, they call that chasing the dragon which is where they're constantly going back to try to find, you know, that first high and the feeling I had at this time is called chasing the dragon yeah. and people who are in this kind of relationship are doing the same thing. Well, the intensity of what comes out of the gate is so completely unbelievable. So yep. the love bombing phase is actually the thing that what I call the, it's like an iCloud hologram when you're in a, and it can be, again, any relationship. This is not just romantic. Mm -hmm. This can be with a parent. We hold on to that. Uh, yep. One day, this, 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 this thing is going to arrive. I'm going to have this connection because I'm sure yep. that I've stored away a memory of where this was supposed to go. And they come yep. back in with false promises and dangling carrots and that won't happen again and the apologies. And that's why it's a cycle. And we get, exactly right. we get stuck in the disorientation of the, the gaslighting and the infidelities or the lies or the manipulation um, because we come back to that, what you said is the chasing of the, chasing the dragon, which yep. is I, I know I can get that little fix and then they leave the breadcrumbs so, you, so they can bring you back mm -hmm. in to get that little fix. That's exactly right. And that's how trauma bonding works. And part of that too is the idea that, you know, because I haven't talked to one, I talk, I've spoken to thousands of people all over the world by now, 
over the years. And there, I haven't spoken to one person where I said, did you uh, notice red flags, uh, you know, early on before you knew any of this? And then they, then they said, no, like that, that has not happened yet because you can see it. And, and it's like, okay, that's, that's a little weird or I don't know. I, I didn't really like that. You know, it's that kind of thing, but you want this to be true so badly and you keep, you're given all this proof that it is true. If you just try a little harder, you know, because you're being told nonstop the entire time, either that it's because they have this horrible tra you know, trauma and tragic life that they've had before, which is probably true, or they're, you're being told that it, you're in control of it. It's your fault. So either way you're being told this is fixable. If I just keep, if I'm more patient, if I try a little harder, if I'm, nicer, if I don't go here, if I don't do this, if I can do this the right way, then, it, you know, I, it's like a brass ring and someone just keeps pulling it away and you just keep grabbing it, you know? And so that is what creates the addiction that right there, that inconsistent, keep trying, keep trying. You're almost getting it. Oh, you got it a little bit. Nope. I'm taking it away. That is, that's what that is, that you're exactly 100% correct. And that is actually I mean, I don't, I, the, the chemicals that are, in, in, that are created as a result of that is, mm -hmm. is actually yep. something that you, if you let it go on a lot enough, you can become so dependent on the cortisol and what are the, there, do you know what the other, the other things that are, are created as a result there is that there is a dopamine cycle. So it's cortisol, stress, and yep. living in that used to being living in that state of anxiety and, and fear and trepidation. And then like say to masochism, it's like punishment, relief, punishment, that's relief. Exactly. Right. So My, I remember that you know, people, that's, that's exactly right. There are, it's norepinephrine, uh, peptide. It's, it's such a, it's a chemical soup. It really is because when you're in, you know, chemicals, those, the chemical hormonal reactions and the, the physical reactions of your heart is speeding up, you feel really excited. That doesn't just happen when you're arguing. It doesn't just happen when you're having sex or getting along. It also happens if someone is giving you the silent treatment. It also happens when someone has been, for example, ignoring you and then they come and talk to you like nothing bad ever happened. All of a sudden you get a text, hey, how's it going? You know, th these, it feeds on itself continuously, continuously. This is intrinsic to these relationships. Why is their goal then, unlike other, why is their goal to actually destroy you? What I don't really understand, and I guess it's because they've got, they've got their tentacles out and they're getting sources. They've got, mm -hmm. they've got their, 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 what do they call the, like the fan club? So they have the harem. A, a, a supply. It could be a harem. It's a, well, a, 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 yes, a harem in some cases. <laughs> um, well, you know, it is, but it's not always people that they're sleeping with. That's all. No, they don't have to. And that's why the internet is literally a, 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 a feeding pool for narcissists. So yes. Their goal is to sort of destroy you. So the next, the next, whoever it is that's next, whoever the next victim is, who, victims, plural, whatever, their job is actually to make sure that, along the way, this destruction, this- Oh yeah, smear campaign, sorry, yeah. smear campaign, I knew that. No, that's this okay. campaign and, and that goes along until when you're on the other side and down to your last bits of juice, even the people that you would normally go to, those relationships have been destroyed, best friends, family members, because yes. they've so well disguised your behavior, your quote unquote behavior, 
which is again, parental, you've got that psychologically in your brain that it must've been you. But the way yep. they talk about your behavior to other people is in fact that they're the victim and the hero. Who was it? Was it uh, Goebbels or it may have been Hitler himself who said the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. So with the misuse and the knowledge of that, how do you think that reflects in today's, not just today's politics, but how do you think that's, that's being used in today's politics? Oh, I, I think it's always been, it's, well, I mean, how long ago was Adolf Hitler a thing, right? I mean, so that, and that, I think it goes even all the way back to, for example, Caesar. I mean, narcissists are mentioned in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And whether someone's spiritual or not, think about how long ago that was. Mm. Does that make sense? So I think it's intrinsic to all of it. Any, any power system has gaslighting and, and any type of narcissistic abuse built into it because you have to keep people confused, um, unhappy, uh, you know, with, with less self-respect, less self-worth in order to control them. It's, you know, that's what it's for. On a, mm -hmm. on a systemic level, this, um, this, uh, this, this cycle of abuse applies and represents itself and actually manifests in the same behavior. So we've got neglect and betrayal and abuse from above. You've got the, um, the, oh, I, I understand you, I see you, you're my people, I feel you. So that gets right into the bellies of the simpletons who are just like, oh gosh, that's all I needed. That's yeah. all I needed. Because you've, yeah. got a lot of, you've got a lot of nameless, faceless, unheard beings out there who are hurting mm -hmm. from feeling so um, out of their purpose and so disconnected. So when somebody powerful comes along and says, I see you, I'm here for you. And then what happens? Then what they do is they create a problem somewhere else. They point the finger. Okay. They say, that's the enemy, but I've got your back. But it's, it, but, but the, we've gone backwards and forwards with this betrayal and abuse again, because when great catastrophes happen, whether it's the oil spill or Katrina, it still ends up being a deflection. It's somebody else's somebody yep. else's problems so that's how they manipulate the mind control and it? that's that's yes it is and that's exactly the same way that cult leadership works that's exactly how cult membership works it's exactly how cult leadership works it's exactly it? the same yes <gasps> explain that to me i i don't know enough about cults cult uh, i am and i may be mistaken about this but i don't think so the first uh usage of the word love bombing and and the more uh, common way that it was known before this whole narcissistic explosion of information was to do with cults. That is how cult leaders would, uh, you know, like recruit people. I hate to use that word, but that's, that's really what it is. And by love bombing them, you're amazing, you're great, you're special, I understand you. Uh, and then it, would, then it turns into... There's, there's enemies, your family is your enemy, your this is your enemy, your, your neighborhood, your people, your husband, your wife, your children, you know, in order to turn the person to the idea that this, I, we're, this is safe here with me, with us, you're one of us, and, you, and we, because people really crave that, you know, I, sometimes you hear we're a herd animal, like uh, buffaloes or cows, I actually don't think that, I think we're more like a pack animal, because we're always jockeying for the hierarchy, you know what I mean? But either way, 
people want to belong to a group and there are certain conditions that are necessary for um, trauma bonding, which is what occurs. Trauma bonding doesn't have to occur just between a man and a woman or a, or a child and a parent. You, we see species of trauma bonding uh, in like guys that have been through uh, a war together. You know, they were in the same platoon or whatever like that. There's a reason those friendships last 50 years. You know, we see it in, um, remember the, the, who, who was the people that kidnapped Patty Hearst, right? And she became trauma bonded like Stockholm syndrome. And that is what happens. One of the necessary things for trauma bonding is that people need to believe there is a real danger somewhere. And because people are, they look for someone to bond to when that happens and even if it's someone you're experiencing the trauma with, even if they cause the trauma, if that's the only person that's there, then that's who the bond is going to be. It's a survival mechanism. Got it. Yes. And even if it's not there, it's, it's one of the tactics that's used, which is to create this every day as a, there has to be a horror story. Like there yep. has to be something that's even invented. And guess what? This is what's going to happen to you. And this is what I'm creating for today. So you get almost petrified deer in headlights. Yep. So you're isolated in that relationship with them, yep. which means yep. that there are no other options. You're in a cul-de-sac with yourself and the perpetrator. So it's And that's another, and I want to validate that for you too. That's another one of the components of a trauma bond. The person has to feel that there is no escape from the situation or the relationship that they, this, is, this is where it is. This is what it is it blows my mind how easy it is how easily yeah. trained our minds are how orwellian yep. it is how yeah you know we are so arrogant in thinking that you know that sheep are stupid because they we can move and manipulate them in flocks we are no greater or less we you treat an individual with respect and love and compassion you will see an individual spirit flourish and thrive and come into its power you abuse and you manipulate and you use herd mentality, you will get exactly that blinded, terrified, fear-fueled beings who work as, yep. as, just, as just that. And that's really the ultimate goal is, is it is control and power and making sure that the flaws are never identified at all costs. And yep. so along the way, we can become savvy to recognizing these red flags but we have to be hip to it and that's why i'm really i really want to because we could go there are so many layers of this <laughs> it's yes. such a, it's such a rabbit hole but it's so healing once you get into it and that's why mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to help steer people towards your work and also the uh, modalities that you have set up which thank you so much the you have your version of what's a self a, a kind of a recovery recovery program and and yep. healing you're available to also help guide people through this um which i'll share at the end of the uh, of the of the podcast um how people can get in touch with you what we're being confronted by as a species and how it is in our own accountability, not just within this relationship with other people who are going through their journey, whether it be narcissists, whether it be, um, oh gosh, like sociopaths, whether it be psychopaths, because yep. yeah, they, they can all really intermingle. And these are these are heavy hitting terms, but these are people who are who are literally in our everyday lives. And yes. they yep. need to be identified from the top 
to the bottom. So parents in our homes, brothers and sisters in our homes, and leaders at the top, and people in the workplace, you can't change them, but what we can do is recognize it and then take action for ourselves on how we guard ourselves and navigate through it, right? Yeah, absolutely true. And that's one of the things I think that's the most important for people to understand is, you know, regaining your sense of personal agency is the most important thing because abuse robs you of your sense of personal agency. Abuse makes you believe or, or causes you to feel that you're responsible for all these things for other people, that you can control them, that you can change them, that you can do something about their feelings and their actions and their thoughts. This is not true. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's the most important thing, like you said, what you can do for you, because you can only control yourself and, you know, your decisions and what you're going to do. And I really think, um, well, I don't think I know, boundaries and, and regaining our sense of personal agency is the most important thing. Boundaries are where self-respect and self-love and self-worth stop just being concepts. They, that's where they become practices. That's where they become realities. And so, you know, personal agency is a big part of that. I'm in control of my thoughts, my feelings, my actions. I take ownership for those. I, I, I have responsibility for those and other people do not, and I do not have control over take responsibility for these things for other people. And boundaries are the way you kind of cement that all up and make sure no one is, is affecting your personal sovereignty, your personal agency, your agency upon the world. But that's a, that's a tough place for a being that has been battered down. It is to the core where you are no longer recognizable by the time you're spat out the other side. The symptoms are anxiety, uh, um, t like PTSD, hardcore PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, Helplessness, powerlessness, yeah. And also your, your, your bearings. What happens is your, your compass has been blown to the point where you yep. can't even trail back to understand really what's happened. And it could be, it could be, it could, this can be done in, in a five month relationship, a five year relationship or a, a much longer people that wake up to it are in such a, a debilitated state. So to start even trying to embody any of those mm. boundaries or even try to um, encompass those without help is, is, is borderline um, impossible. And this is why the severity of this um, abuse I really think is far more dangerous than a, than even a heroin addiction because yeah. heroin, you, you, once you actually wean yourself off it and you go through the cold Turkey and you get the other, get to the other side. And this is, I, I understand the, the recovery rate of heroin. We're talking 3% recovery rate. So this is yeah. no joke, but I think we're actually recovering from narcissistic abuses is, is almost more difficult because there aren't the systems there that have been put into place for people who've been through this kind of abuse. They don't, you're right. They don't trust their own minds to even be able to string it together and actually create a, co a, a cohesive, comp comprehensive narrative because they, you, sound right. like, you sound like a lunatic, you sound like a schizophrenic, you feel yep. like a schizophrenic, and most yep. likely also they have, been, they, have, they have diagnosed you, which is another typical thing a narcissist does, which is they like to tell you that you're borderline or whatever. But the bugger of it is, is a lot of the symptoms when you're in the let's say the eye of the storm is the symptoms that come up are you can be suicidal you can act 
so aggressively and in such a state of where your ego is in such a, a, a fear-based state that in yep. fact, a lot of the traits that come up, if you go to a therapist in, in that moment, they would almost diagnose you with borderline or something like it too. You're exactly right. And that is, you know, and this is what I tell people all the time. I'm so glad you said that. Narcissistic behavior is defensive. And so that means that if somebody is being attacked or if they feel extremely defensive, you might see that behavior even though they're not narcissists. You know what I mean? There is a huge difference, of course, between displaying uh, narcissistic behavior and being a narcissist. The biggest thing is, like you said, um, that you can see it and you can recognize it. You know, you, this is something that you can understand. If you, if you question that you're a narcissist, you're probably not. And that's because for them, you know, some of it is just, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I know you're, you know, projection, but some of it, I think they do think you're a narcissist because you won't do whatever they want. You won't give them what they want. You're not, you know, what, they are actually doing to other people is what they believe is being done to them. And I think that for some of them, that is very genuine. Mm. And so it, it's, there's so much confusion it's because of that. Who is the person that is the, um, who's the narcissist and who's the victim? It's very hard to say because as we've been discussing, narcissists a lot of times are actual victims. They're just not victims in this relationship. And that can be very, very hard um, to tell the difference. Usually, for example, if I speak to therapists or if I speak to doctors and things like that, what we talk about is just looking for these things generally in the relationship. And because once you've um, recognized that they are happening, for example, gaslighting, for example, um, not being able to, like one person says, I'm crazy. I feel like I'm going crazy. I don't know why. I feel like I don't know what's wrong. I feel like I'm not being heard. I'm being accused of things that I never said or things that I never did. These things did not happen. You know, those kind of things. You may not at first, as a therapist or a doctor, you may not be able at first to tell who is the problem, but with astute observation, the actual abuser will reveal themselves. It will, you, you know, but to just look at those things um, as existing in the relationship often is very helpful because like I said, through observation in the fullness of time, you'll be able to tell who's who. Yeah. But high functioning narcissists have an incredible act. I've, mm -hmm, seen, I've, they seen, do. I've seen some brilliant people be, um, seduced and spun around and, yes. um, and been shown this whole spectrum of like a deck of cards that you're like, where on earth did you pull that out from? It's, yep. it's like, a, it's like a magic trick. And that's how it is. And they also, I feel like there's also the, a dangerous thing about going into couples therapy, which, you know, I, I recognize now is that they actually relish the opportunity because they know very well that what they can do is they've got another, um, another, another possibility of, of, of having somebody they can get on their team. And basically like, a pack, right. like a pack animal, as you said, create a kind of, I guess that's a triangulate. Is that triangulation? Is, in, yes, ma'am, it is. And, 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 and it's, that's not the flying monkey thing, but I guess it kind of is as well. <laughs> it, yeah. If they, if they were to somehow succeed in turning the therapist against you or to succeed in having the therapy focus completely, totally on you, then yeah, you could, you could call that a flying monkey. Technically um, it usually refers to people who that they know, you know what I mean? Or that know them that have, come and taken up their cause against you, the evil abuser or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. 
But at that, and what you're talking about is exactly correct. And this is one of the reasons why couples therapy and family therapy and things like that with narcissists is generally, it's counterintuitive. It's not recommended. It can actually be a lot more dangerous. I mean, I think, I think as subtle as rather than having somebody come in and actually fight their corner for them, it can be as subtle as, you know, they can, they can take screenshots when they, what they do is provoke you quietly. So even yep. on, they're so calculated that even in writing or in text that they, even though they're the provocateur, they know it's that dog whistling even through text that actually what they're right. doing, even if somebody else read it. So they know that if they went to court, they almost work like lawyers, that they can fast forward to actually making sure that they're, they're completely clean no matter what. So they can take yep. a screenshot of something where you then have blown up in response because you know exactly what button they're pushing. And then they That's can right. go look, look, see, and they're like, oh yeah, she's psychotic. She's borderline. Yep. She's, and, yep. then, and then what you, that is, and that is a form of abuse and it's been itself. Yes, it is. It's being manipulated. And when you're in pain and when you are being attacked and somebody else is basically taking that knife and turning it, with the attacker it's just it's it's a, it's abuse regardless they don't need their own separate dagger but what they're doing is validating the abuse so therefore they're, adding, trauma. they're adding to it so it's if trauma. You, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't i mean and this is what's so tricky is like how do you find if that i do think it's a little bit again like going back to recovery and aa is that one person who's been through the trauma can only help a person who's been through the trauma in the same yep. way alcoholism is that one alcoholic helps another alcoholic because you have to have understood it and been through it the nuances yeah. are way too subtle they're way too subtle um so and also i don't feel that you can be properly understood unless you find somebody who's been through it and um, connecting, connecting to that network because it is out there more, isn't it, Sin? Don't you feel like there are more people who are there available to help? Yes, I do. And I think there are a lot more people who, whenever you start trying to say these things, they're not automatically going to say that couldn't have happened. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's a big part of it too. People automatically will be like, okay, that can't be, or what did you do to cause this? Or, you know, and for a lot of us, before we experienced any of that, we might've said the same thing. Like it takes two to tango. You must've done something. And then you realize after you meet people like this, that is not the case. People do make things up. People do start problems. It's just them. Like that does happen. But your part, because I, I really want to make sure we're never like, again, like blame shifting or finger pointing because where right. we're at in general at the moment anyway, is that we've all got our own, we've got to own our own shit. So, okay. Trauma bonding, codependency. Those are all other themes that we must look into. Like, what's my part? What am I doing to call this in? Where are my own yep. trauma lines? Where's my own pool of hurting that I need to go in and heal myself because if I don't heal that I'm going to call it back in so it's one yeah. thing to kind of and I don't think there's any way that you can really move on and grow from it unless you get in and do that work because there's something about you that's giving permission for that that um, relationship to take place you're exactly right and that's that's a lot of times that's the hardest thing for people because if, if you're especially if you've been hurt and you're not in um, a place where, uh, you know, you can receive things, then being asked to take accountability, it feels like blame and people get very upset about that. And, you know, it's like you were saying, you're not in a place to put up boundaries and you're not in a place, you know, you're exactly right. And those are the reasons, all these things that I, you know, that we've been talking about that you've said that I've said, that's exactly the reason why the educational, excuse me, the educational component of this is so important because, Without that, you you can't get to that place. Absolutely, I, I really believe that. You know, 
absolutely. Uh, it, this is not, woo, this is, first of all, it's not woo woo stuff. There's nothing. I know you call yourself a little shum, but that's because you actually, I, I feel that what you're coming from is that you're all about the healing. You're, it's about yep. recognizing it and then healing it. And it's, yep. and that's for, that's for, that is for everybody right now. That's what for all of us. And I don't want to, I don't want to look at anybody and feel like they're my enemy, but there is understanding the end make your friends, you know, what does it keep your friends close and your enemies closer, but it's more, <laughs> yeah. more, it's more identifying it and then saying, okay, I don't want, I don't, I, I choose not to play with you. I recognize that's exactly right. And that's it. And by, by being able to identify it, you can see it coming. But if you have a trauma bond or a familiarity imprint in you, whereby you, you confused love for abuse in childhood. And again, look at the word abuse. It's not about bruises only. This is about very subtle lines. Recognize that. Give yourself permission to actually say that was abuse. Study abuse. Get into the undercurrents of abuse and realize where that lies for you. We've been toughened up too much. We've been told to anesthetize our pain. We've been given pills to do it. We've been told it's not brave to do that. You can't talk about it. You can't express it. Right. These guys coming back from war, the reason why they want to go back into war is because they, it's the only place where they can feel healing. They don't, they yep. come back to this society. There is no place to be understood. So of course you want to go back into battle, which seems like insanity, but it's the yep. same no, interpersonal it, relationship is, I, yep. I, is that that's where I feel the quelling happens because, but it's because it's a familiar imprint to me. Exactly. So, There's nothing here that's helping me. There's nothing here that's making me feel understood. I don't get any of this, but on the battlefield, I know exactly what to do. But there's an imprint that is also something that is not spoken about, which is a lot of the trauma that we come into this incarnation with is not even ours. We've got ancestral stuff that we, we can yep. be looking at. And the wonderful thing about the privilege of this time right now with all of the conscious downloads and these tools that are available to us is that we have the opportunity to heal an imprint that can go way, way, way back. And each person is here. I truly believe for that reason, which is to heal that and free ourselves to open ourselves to a place where we can actually be clear enough to hold in enough consciousness so we can actually all unify as a species together. Otherwise we're, pardon my French, we're fucked. <laughs> but I, I totally agree with you. And I really think that you know, it's one of the things I tell people all the time. Like I say, when people are being, you know, reaching out, trying to do, trying to, to do the work, to, to do healing, to heal themselves, to heal, you know, because it, it, it didn't start with you, but it can stop with you, period. And I tell people all the time, thank you for doing that. And they're like, why are you thanking me? And I say, well, look at it like this. Hurt people hurt people. We've all heard that, right? And narcissistic people are an excellent example, the majority of them, how trauma creates more trauma. Like, it really does. And so if hurt people hurt people, then if you're one of the not hurt people, if you're trying to become healed or working on healing, you're making less hurt people in the world, which means there are less hurtful people in the world, which means it's a better world for my kids. And for me, so thank you. Mm. It's not just people, it's everything. It's the yep. animals, it's yes. the way we yes. interact with and abuse everything. We are like human rapists just pillaging and scouring through this, yep. this incredible cosmos, just ingesting 
everything like a yeah. wild rampage in order to fix our brokenness. That's yeah. actually where this, 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 this addiction, this, which is this addiction control balance, this cocktail, which we yeah, are because we're all ailing from. Well, and, and that's what, because people will say, and it's like you were saying too, and it's the truth that the, the point of it is power and control, for example, for a narcissist. And which is, you know, everybody has that narcissistic need for that in some ways, even if it's just control over your own life, because that's how we function. You know what I mean? The trick is finding a, a peaceful uh, balance with that. But, excuse me, people will say uh, they need power and control. And that's true. But is that what's, what's under that? Because you don't just stop there. Why does somebody feel the need for this power and control in the first place? You know, what's under that is fear. Fear, terror, absolute mm -hmm. terror. Absolute yep. terror. But with Absolutely. that, in, it is this, this, this moment in time where we're seeing this, this has been going on for, <laughs> I mean, it's been going on for millennia, actually, but centuries. Yep. And in, if we're talking about our immediate history and what's up for us with the, with the, BLM movement, which I've, I had the privilege to at least as a guest in this country be a party to and really experiencing the pain of 400 years of abuse yeah. coming to the surface, this boil being exercised. The response to that is like, right, we, yeah, of course, everybody has to be called to, 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 to accountability. Okay. So what we know is a narcissist or an abuser is you're never going to get accountability out of them. You're never going to get an apology. You're never going to get sorry. And if you get it, sorry, it's just so we can kind of mask it and move on, which we've also seen with the police force, which is okay, let's put out an apology and then go back to our automatic old default behavior. Mm -hmm. Understanding that these men and women who are inflicting this abuse and but the work is fundamentally coming back in and recognizing at what point where was the fulcrum shift? What undid you? What shifted? What created yep. that psychosis, yep. that ability to disconnect and be able to be so callously abusive towards another being? And how are you part of our protective workforce that actually is supposed to be doing the antithesis of that, which is being compassionate and caring and taking care of and being the protector. And so yep. systems, I mean, we're, we're talking about one-on-one -on -one here, but how do, we, how do we implement in the system a module that can actually go in and start healing this, um, this toxicity, this virus? You know, <laughs> it's, so, it's one of those things because it would require breaking things down to the, to the bare bones, which you can't do, you know what I mean? Because we need those systems. So they can't be destroyed per se. I agree. But I think, you know, I think one of the things we can do and one of the things that seems to be happening is, for example, like the spiritual side of this trauma, like, you know, and like I, we were talking before, spiritual trauma is about losing your faith in things. It's not just about God or religion. It can be. But it's not just about that. It's losing your faith in systems and in institutions and in, in, in mankind and in humanity and people and love and kind, you know, it's all these things. And so one of the ways that we address that is by being the kind of person we wish there were more of. So in other words, you know, when we see a problem in a system, then what can we do to address that? 
just as an individual because I'm an individual, you're an individual. That's two people that can do something about one problem, and we're not the only ones that care. You see what I'm saying? So if whatever that is, if it's, um, you know, you can lobby, you can do campaigns, you can, you can go and speak, uh, for example, the, to the police. You can go and speak. They have teaching uh, classes that they teach in places, you know, at the academy. There's, there's things you can do. Or, for example, um, maybe somebody who is younger, maybe they become a police officer because change can be affected from the inside. If we can just inculcate the, the doing into the conversation like okay let's talk about it but let's let's do something too and i think if that can be more of a thing you know what i mean because the conversations need to happen it's like we were talking about the educational component is very important but it's the doing too even if even if all we do is elevate examples of the good when we see it that's something it's to me i you know i would like that we all do more, but even just that, like say, this is the type of police officer you should be, this is the type of politician, this is the type of therapist or teacher or what, you know, animal rights um, activist, cause, you know, or anything, anything, you know, to hold up the good examples and to be a good example is what I think is, is really helpful. Yeah, I call, I call those torch, be, like being a torchbearer. <clears throat> yes. Yes, for be a torchbearer, be a, be a standard maker. We're all a society of individuals. And if we can come together uh, in these situations, then I think that change can be affected. I think I agree with you. And I think it's one of, one of the most powerful ways and one of the most potent ways. But I, do, I, I would really like to see the, the, some level of this conversation woven into a curriculum in schools, embedded yes. in school, which is yep. about, a, you know, really, if we're going to boil it down to cause and effect, quantum physics, how we affect, affect things, your, I mean, these are superhero powers. When you get in and you talk to a kid about the fact that when you act this way, it has one outcome or another, it, it, it lights up the same part of the brain, which is about empowerment. No, no, I totally agree with you. And part of that is teaching agency. Like, look, you can do something about this. You know how politicians campaign, if we're talking about this as a movement, which it is, which is, yeah. I don't know what it would come under the umbrella of, but it's, it's, it's healing and lighting people up and guiding them towards their own personal empowerment. Um, I suppose, mm -hmm. um, is that you've got people in spiritual swing states, you know, and there yes. are some that you just have to acknowledge that are already crossed over. And it's not to yes. say that they can't be brought to the, to the party at all. It's an open invitation. And if we mm -hmm. keep on saying it's, they are these supporters, whoever, I'm not even going to say the name out loud and it's them and how did they come to be and oh my gosh i can't believe these people are part of my you know the shame that's gone with so many people like oh my gosh my country's so divided and it's like how about own you do you light up your light up your shit and <laughs> guide yeah. the way and um see what see what you magnetize as a result of that rather than identifying the ongoing malaise and the malignancy and saying there's the cancer there's the cancer there's the cancer it's like so right. what do we do with cancer what are the different okay we can't cut this one out so what else do we have the same with our immune systems we have the wherewithal to actually heal ourselves whether it be through strengthening our immune systems against 
or adhering to the fact that a virus is here to show us something, okay, but I'm not going to let you take me over because I'm making that decision. In the same way as a narcissist will come into my life, I'm like, I see you, I'm not going to let you take me over. Exactly, and having no agency, and that's one of the reasons why it's so cliche uh, that people might not even necessarily think about what it actually means when you say, if you want to change your society, if you want to change the world, change yourself. And this is another rabbit hole, really. But you know, you yep. know about the, 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 the neuroplasticity and the training that yes. our minds have got into. And mm -hmm. people, if people could really understand that it's all a lie, that the fact is, is that our mind and our egos just tell us a story that if we keep That's on right. replaying the events of the past, our body responds in that trauma because it doesn't know 1975 from 2005 or 2015. That's exactly right. So we got to, we got to shut, we got to shut down this mind noise, this ego noise that wants to, wants us to live in suffering. The ego only survives in ba in battle. And the only person yes. that we're in battle with is ourselves. There is no one else, but in order for the ego to survive and take us down and without getting too over everybody's head right now, because it might be a little bit too much, but we are in a battle against the ego right now. Aren't we? Yep. And that's, I say, yes, we are. And I tell people that all the time. I tell them, look, the most difficult battle you're going to face is not the battle with the narcissist. It's the battle with yourself. Yeah. That is, is what the thing is here, because in order to heal from this, the, the narcissistic relationship, and I know this in some ways, you know, a lot of people are not ready to hear this, but the narcissistic relationships, um, they, however many you have, if you have one, if you've had five, whatever, they create a, uh, an opportunity for you to really be able to focus on, because they show it right to you. What do I need to focus on? How do I need to heal? What blah, 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 you know? And so if there's a blessing from these relationships, and I, I believe there is, because I believe that there's no way in hell you go through all of that just to say you went through it like that. I don't believe that at all. I believe that it was, it came for a reason. A lot of people don't. A lot of people think there's no value in a painful experience that could not be further from the truth. But you know, some people are not in a place to receive that and that's okay. But what they offer from, you know, the relationship offers, they offer pain. But what the relationship offers, the situation offers is an opportunity to be able to see exactly where we need to focus and heal if we're in a place where we can take it. And, you know, not everybody is, you know, we always hear this when the, when the uh, student is ready, the teacher will appear. And a lot of times people's expectation is someone is going to show up and tell me what I need to do or how I need to think and, you know, stuff like that. And sometimes that does happen, but the more common experience is something has happened that has forced me to, to look at or understand things that I didn't before. It's a rock bottom. Yeah. Yep. People are not ready to heal on all levels unless they hit a rock bottom and they have to come, yep. it, it, they have to come to the party with the cap in hand. Then I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today and for being here for, for all of us. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for the service that you're providing and uh, I send you a big cyber hug through the screen. By, yeah, social distance hugging. Thank yeah. you so very much. Thank you very much for ha having me. And thank you for what you're doing. Um, I've listened to a couple episodes of your podcast. So I think what you're doing is great. So I, I was honored to come, really. 
so it's 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 i'm just aware of some of the dots that need to be connected and in this time the very least i can do is actually sort of cohesively try to weave some sort of tapestry to um to to create a somewhat of a blanket around some people at the moment so people can we can just get on the get on the same page <laughs> yeah amen while we've, got, while we've got this amazing, this at this time is amazing. And rather than treating it like some sort of condemnation, it's like, what a, what a privilege we have if we're in this world where we do actually have the choice to choose who we are and how we live. So, yes. And I'm exactly on that same page with you and I really appreciated it. Thank you. Yeah. You're amazing. All right, love. Sending you big hugs. Thank you so very much to the lovely Sister Sin, a.k.a. Little Shaman, for chatting so passionately with me about yet another subject that I care deeply about. And thank you for going there with me, Sister Sin. And thank you, everyone, for joining. And yeah, I suppose apologies to those who I'm sure love to complain and who will have a complaint about the audio you know, we are absolutely just doing our best to get the information to you. This is, this is not my job. Um, I am, I'm literally at the moment recording this uh, from the middle of the Indian Ocean. I have my microphone with me and Sister Sin is uh, in the woods somewhere uh, doing her best to be of service and get the information out to you. So hopefully uh, you'll be able to look past that and receive the information and maybe just pretend you're you're, you're going back in a time capsule and um, somewhere listening to a wireless romantically in the 1930s. Uh, the information is there regardless. And thank you to everybody else who uh, joined in. Just so you know, Sister Sin is holding a narcissistic abuse recovery clinic on the 26th and 27th of September. There are 50 seats per clinic. It's on Zoom. You can find out more about that on the littleshaman.org. And also, I just highly encourage you to check out her podcasts on um, on YouTube. Uh, just check out, just type in Little Shaman. Um, they're free. They are a wealth of information. They are incredibly healing and informative. And thank you so much again, Sister Sim, for putting those out there and for being of service. And to everyone, I send you so much love. I send you a massive hug. Please take care of yourselves. I don't know when the next episode is going to appear, but you know it's going to be full of goodness. Um, until then, much love. Thank you.